This week, we're going to take a look at the social economy and the promise of elements like cooperatives and social enterprises for the future of our rural communities. Of course, the social economy has been around an awful long time, but it may have fallen out of favor in recent decades as we really lean towards leaving business to businesses. In some areas, there's now a renaissance happening in cooperatives and social enterprises, and the whole approach to community sustainability from a social economy point of view. So is the time right to scale this up? We invited Mike Toy, Executive Director of the Canadian Community Economic Development Network, to join us for a deep dive on this topic. And because we're doing the podcast from a rural community, sometimes technology doesn't always work in our favor. Today you might notice, including right now, there's more of an echo on my part, and it'll come back again in the second half of our chat. That's because I lost poor Mike halfway through when one of our internet service providers went down. But on the plus side, in a small community like Guysboro in Nova Scotia, there's always someone ready to help out. Our recreation center still had a connection and had one big empty room that had not yet been taken over by kids on summer vacation. So we're happy to live with the echo and grateful for community support for the Rural Spark podcast. So now on to our topic. Hello, Mike, and welcome to Rural Spark. Thanks for having me. Mike, can you tell us a little bit about the Canadian, it's a long title, of course, the Canadian Community Economic Development Network. I think it's called uh, SEDNET for short, and, and what you do there. Yeah, it is a long title. Uh, it's community Economic Development often gets shortened down to CED for people who are familiar with it, and uh, SEDNET is the, is the quick name. So it's a national network created about 20 years ago that really serves as an information hub uh, and a place to make connections and facilitate learning among people who are creating economic opportunities in communities often that are facing multiple kinds of barriers, whether it's a geographic community that's faced with economic restructuring, a, a plant closing down or disinvestment, or uh, particular vulnerable communities of people, such as people with disabilities, racialized groups, you know, f official language minority communities, immigrants. There's uh, all sorts of people that face particular barriers to getting a job and uh, participating fully in the economy. So our members across the country work with uh, all sorts of different populations and settings to help create uh, opportunities for people to participate and thrive. Sounds good. And is it a membership that's been growing? Is there a growing interest in coming together maybe to work together on these challenges? It was a term that was extremely popular about 20 years ago, and there was a lot of momentum. And since then, there's been focus has shifted to ideas such as the social economy, now social innovation and social finance. I think the, the challenges and even the solutions that people have come up with are relatively similar mm -hmm. through the years, but uh, often the labels shift. So that's something we're grappling with. As you say, the, uh, the name doesn't fit well in a hashtag anymore. It was created yeah. before Twitter existed. And so we're uh, thinking about how we reach audiences to understand and build on the lessons and the, the history of what's worked in communities facing challenges and how we can continue to take advantage of new opportunities that technology and, uh, and other practices can, can allow. Absolutely. And, and language is important, as you say. I know when, we, um, when my husband and I were still in our mid-20s and decided to start a rural community newspaper, all the organizations that we were tapping into on that economic side was uh, they were all community economic development. And those, those terms do persist in a lot of our organizations today. But we do hear more and more about 
as you mentioned, uh, social economy, social enterprises. And, and you have a certain expertise in that area, and your organization does now too, as well as, as this uh, thinking and practices in this area have, have you know, emerged in new ways. How important are those things? How important is the social economy um, going to be to our rural communities, do you think, going forward? And maybe you can define for us how exactly most people would see what social economy means mm-hmm. and, and why it might be so important in rural Canada. Sure. So the social economy has slightly different uh, definitions in different jurisdictions. It's most advanced uh, where I live here in Quebec, uh, where there was actually a framework law that was passed about six years ago that defines it and requires the government to be recognizing the social economy and its uh, policies and programs. But for the most part, it really refers to businesses that serve community interests before profit. It really, the businesses, often they're nonprofits or cooperatives uh, that are created to serve the needs of its members or the community. They're independently governed, usually democratically governed here in Quebec. They aspire to economic viability, so there can be a role for government subsidies where it's a partnership and the enterprise is meeting public policy objectives such as child care or home care, but they, there are always revenues generated by the sales of goods or services. And yeah, the distribution, usually there's a, a lock or a restriction on the distribution of profits that would neither need to go to members or the community. So it's really all about a business model that's designed not to pursue profit as a primary objective, but the community community supports. And I, I think we see as key elements of that um, are, are attempts and, and some success stories around establishing new cooperatives and social enterprises. Uh, those are terms we hear a lot more now as well in terms of making a stronger rural Canada. And if I have my history right, I think in the early and mid-1900s, um, there was a real movement toward the cooperatives uh, in Atlantic Canada and Quebec. I think in Atlantic Canada, a lot of it was driven by the Anakadish movement and uh, the Desjardins movement in Quebec. Are we at a time now where we're, it's a case of something old being new again? I would say so. I was I was remember being shocked when I learned that Alphonse Desjardins was president of the Social Economy Society of Montreal in 1905, before the first uh, he created the first uh, Caisse Populaire, and there was quite a, 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 a tremendous movement uh, back at, uh, at more than a century ago for the creation of these co-ops, and then later on through the Indigenous movement because. People recognized these were powerful tools to become, as uh, Moses Cody said, masters of their own destiny, mm-hmm. right? They wanted mm-hmm. to have the power, and that's the inspiration for community economic development as well. It's to create a more democratic economy where people have greater control over the decisions that impact their lives. And our point of view is that when that's the case, then decisions, better decisions get made for, uh, for people and the environment. And so... I think the state we're in now, when we look at growing inequality around the world and the ecological and environmental crises that we're facing, there's a recognition that the status quo, at least in the last 40 years, uh, has really been taking us in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And a lot of exploration or, uh, I think, search for new ways of doing business. And the, uh, the social economy. I think is a pushback against the old paradigm where people said the business of business is business and government mm-hmm. securities will pick up 
the uh, the problems, and there's a recognition that does that hasn't worked, and that in fact, corporate social responsibility is a response to that, saying that no corporations can play a role in for their communities and the environment, but uh, the social economy goes even further, embedding sort of community control and decision making and the impacts in the governance structure of the organization to say that in fact. It's, it's community benefit that can be part of the delivery of goods and services as part of the economy. And I think that's going to be the future because uh, when we look at the, the history of boundaries, right, whether they're national boundaries that are being confounded by immigrant flows over the last, and refugees over the last 10 years especially, or pollution, you know, the climate crisis, carbon dioxide and methane gets produced in one area, but it affects all of us. So uh, I think the reality of our world is that boundaries are becoming increasingly problematic and the old boundaries or silos between government, civil society and the private sector are all also going to be seen to be out of date. And the social economy is, is a path that crosses those boundaries and integrates the challenges to, to be solved in really innovative and exciting ways. And, you know, we've had a number of guests on Rural Spark who've talked about rural, rural communities being very well positioned to try to uh, innovate and come up with those solutions. I guess our size is a benefit in some ways in terms of, you know, really coming up with new approaches to sustainability, new approaches to a social economy that works on a small scale. And, and so you can test new ideas and, and see what uh, might be applicable to scale up in other areas. Is, is that your uh, view on that as well? I think definitely one of the strengths of rural communities is the social capital, the relationships, the connection uh, that exists there. That's, that's really the foundation. When you look at innovation hubs, right, that are popping mm-hmm. up uh, across uh, the country, the catalyst or the, the energy is created by people having conversations, right? It's people from different fields with different approaches that are able to connect and talk about what they're working on. And that, I think, happens more naturally in rural communities where there are those connections points and that social capital. So when we think about the kinds of solutions that community economic development and the social economy, social enterprises can bring, it really comes out of a collective response to problem solving and solutions. And it builds on the assets in a community. Sometimes those are physical assets that can be used for a tourism sort of economic initiative. But most of the time, they're the skills, the financial capital, and the I'd say the, the wherewithal, really the drive, the entrepreneurial spirit of people in communities that sometimes you know, can be hidden, but uh, often uncovered through those relationships and the connections that rural communities are really strong with. So Mike, do you have any examples of communities that you've encountered in your work that um, are really uh, you know, doing innovative things and having some success around embracing a social economy and perhaps cooperatives and social enterprise? Uh, examples that maybe show a lot of promise for the future? Sure. Uh, one that's actually pretty close to where I am here in the eastern end of the eastern townships is a rural community called St. Camille. And they started, you know, uh, 20 or 25 years ago to plug the leaks, right? It, often it starts with local investment, building on those local assets and bringing people in and mobilizing a bit of local capital. And they invested in a multi-stakeholder co-op to produce organic local produce that was distributed to residents, locals, farmer markets, a grocery store, and nearby urban centers. And that was a first business. And then they started a residential development to attract young families who have an agricultural or forest-related business they wanted to set up. 
Uh, and that it, it grew from there. They've converted the church into a multi-purpose cultural center that also is used for conferences and meetings to attract events or uh, groups to the to the town. But I have to say, at the center of it all, one of the first initiatives is a cafe. It's really an intimate music hall called Le Petit Bonheur. Mm -hmm. It's a meeting place for the community. They have Friday pizza days, and uh, it really brings people out together. And that kind of exchange is, I think, the, the fertile ground for solutions to be found. And so more recently, they've brought broadband and high connectivity to, to the town to allow for remote work and more technology-based uh, enterprises to set up. So it's really flourishing. And I think it's a, it's a long process of social capital, like people talking to each other and finding solutions and then uh, taking advantage of the public policy context uh, opportunities uh, that are locally and locally driven, but also that the municipality and the province might create and uh, persisting. And, you know, it might sound like a small thing, but I keep hearing again and again that it's really vital to have a, a vibrant cafe, a place where people can get together in these rural communities. Someone called it the latte factor, determining which <laughs> communities are going to survive. Mm -hmm. it, I think we sometimes overlook or, or don't appreciate the cultural uh, importance of that, not only the cultural element of a music hall and getting people out and having, you know, artists come and do their shows, but just the, the social capital that builds and the, the exchanges, that, that the opportunities that creates. I think we don't have a good way of measuring the value of that. And it really, I think, does make a big difference. And of course, one of the other things that's vital when we look at sustainability for the future is, is healthcare, having doctors and nurses in a rural area. And, and it is an urgent matter right now for many of our rural communities, a shortage of physicians, and in some cases, the nurses as well. In your experience, can the cooperative model extend into that healthcare services space in a rural area? There seems to be, I've noticed some interesting things being done in Quebec in, this, in that space. But of course, there are limitations of what you can do under the Canada Health Act. Mm -hmm. um, and I understand that some healthcare cooperatives in Quebec are looking at things like providing low-cost space to general practitioners to help recruit them and retain rural doctors. Mm -hmm. Do you see that the co-op model does hold potential for solving some of our rural healthcare challenges? I think so. I'm not an expert. One of our members, Jean-Pierre Girard, here in Quebec, has looked at these models around the world, and health and social care cooperatives, which have really taken off in northern Italy, I think offers some powerful examples of how we can distribute and support care in place, especially in rural areas for people who, who need that support. So absolutely the healthcare co-ops, and in, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I think in fact, at the very origins of public Medicare in Canada was the Weyburn Healthcare Co-op in Saskatchewan that uh, mm -hmm. Tommy Douglas used as a model for some of the first insurance programs. So it, they are at the forefront and can continue to ensure delivery and space uh, uh, for healthcare, especially in rural and remote areas. And it does seem that we're at a crossroads right now where we really need innovative approaches. We need to do things differently than we did before. So, you know, this could be one of the solutions that's on the table. And I, I, I did a bit of work some years ago on the social determinants of health and public health. And I think recognizing that the healthcare system we have now really is an illness care system, right? right? Often mm -hmm. treating many of the symptoms. And when we understand that the first, the most important determinant of health is social networks, right? It's social support, then a healthcare co-op model where people are, in a, are involved and they're taking shared ownership for 
not only the medical care they need when there are health problems, but from a preventive angle, the well-being of people in their community, I think opens a lot of doors and really is kind of the next phase of healthcare in Canada. When we look at what's happening in Canada and in the world right now with some of the very serious challenges communities are facing, are there some things out there in the landscape that you think really point to the fact that the time is right to take a closer look at social economy and and social enterprise as we move forward? I would circle back to the points I was making earlier about sort of the artificiality of boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, And just at the end of June, the International Labour Organization and the United Nations Research Institute on Sustainable Development had a conference in Geneva that uh, some of our members were at, were presenting at, on the contributions of the social solidarity economy to the uh, sustainable development goals, the United Nations uh, 2030 agenda for uh, sustainable and inclusive development. And I think there's a recognition that uh, when we're thinking about development that needs to be inclusive, equitable, but also recognizes the environmental limitations that we're facing, that the social economy, social and solidarity economy, as it's called there, is a practice that incorporates, uh, embeds all of those considerations in day-to-day practice and is, I think, seen as one of the, an important avenue for, for the future. So I just think it's it's coming out in all sorts of different ways. Currently, the federal government over the last mandate has been working on a social innovation and social finance strategy that really is about uh, supporting social enterprise development across the country. The first uh, sort of initiatives as part of that program are being rolled out now through an investment and readiness program that will be providing uh, capacity building capital to what they're calling social purpose organizations, which is a broader term for social enterprises, but um, to those groups who want to explore more innovative approaches and getting involved in social finance. So I think there's there's uptake all over the place, sometimes with different labels or slightly different angles, but the bottom line really comes back to the need to take integrated approaches to development and really build on the knowledge and the will of local people to find solutions that work for them. And where's the best place for, you know, individuals and groups and and entire communities who are interested in doing more in this space and and getting active in social enterprise and the social economy? You mentioned just a couple of programs that have been started. Is is there a list of resources on on your organization's website or somewhere else where you would direct people to, to to take a look at the services and supports out there? Yeah, it's a very complicated landscape. We're in the process of trying to support provincial networks across the country so that there's something a bit more close to home. But I would say if people do go to our website, ccednet.ca, there is there's a directory of organizations. There's a map of resources. We have a toolbox of about 1,300 different resources or documents that are categorized by area of interest. So there's a lot of material there. And we can, that's part of our job as a network is to access that information hub and redirect people based on their interests to uh, others who are working perhaps on similar issues, either in the same region or elsewhere that you can learn from. 
Well, that's very helpful. And based on your experience and what you've seen happening at the community level in some areas, what are some uh, key things that uh, people should keep in mind if they're really getting serious about going in this direction to, to you know, get off to a good start and make sure that you're laying a good foundation for future success in, in this area? Are there some, and maybe even some pitfalls to avoid? Right. There is one thing we say on our website is that it's difficult to define community economic development because it ends up getting expressed in as many different ways as there are communities that are doing it. Right. It's it's really very tailored to the assets uh, and the opportunities in a particular community. So the starting point generally is to look at what you have in your community to build on. Uh, there are always uh, a multitude of different kinds of assets. Sometimes they're not well known, but once you get a sense of what they are and what the needs are, where there's energy around solving some problems, then try to be opportunistic, pick some short wins, uh, some quick wins to be able to build momentum for a longer term strategy. And and then it's just continuing to to grow from there. So it's a, it's, I think it's a pretty common approach. You have a long-term vision and then some short-term tactics to uh, build momentum and uh, make progress. And then, uh, you know, it's, uh, you have to s- stick at it for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's some great advice there. I think it is a new and emerging kind of area. I mean, it's always been around, but I think we're seeing a renewed effort in this area. So we'll keep a close eye on what's happening at SEDNET and, and stay in touch as we can share stories and and Mike would be really interested, too, in looking at, uh, we'll stay in touch about some of the examples, concrete examples and people on the ground who are doing interesting things and, and get some of them on for future uh, Rural Spark episodes. Happy to help with that. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. And thanks to all of you for joining us this week on Rural Spark. Our team includes content producer Catherine Murphy and technical producer Tara Seabarth. Music is by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada.